Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest or guests will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, I'm so stoked because our guests are the team behind the new indie horror film, Soft Liquid Center, that I am obsessed with. We are joined by Steph Holmbo, Joseph Colleen, and Zach Gutierrez, who all three wrote the film. And Steph also stars in the film. And Joe and Zach also directed the film. And they also did everything else for the film. Uh, welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Indie filmmaking at its finest, right? Having to <laughs> take on many different hats. <laughs> well, Terry, they also filmed it. Uh, Joe and Steph filmed it in their house over the course of like, th- I'm I'm going to start now t- spieling about your movie for you. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I filmed like it in their house better. over three years. Isn't that nuts? That's indie filmmaking. You living in the set for literally Living years. in the set, truly. It's cheap. Tell you that. It's cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> It's one way to cut costs, I guess. But anyway, uh, for our listeners who maybe are not familiar with Soft Liquid Center, um, Steph, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of the film? Yes. It's the story of a woman who gets out of an abusive relationship and starts a new phase of her life, moves into a new neighborhood, into a new house, starts a new chapter, and then some inexplicable things start to happen. The house starts to turn on her, things that can't be explained consistently unnerve her. She starts to question what is going on in her house and in her mind. And you follow that journey with her trying to figure out what is going on in both of those places. I know Mary Beth has a lot of feelings about digging into uh, this movie. So I, I'm curious, what what sparked the kernel of this, this story idea? Uh, it is an amalgamation of several different relationships that I have been a part of, both romantic, friendship, authoritative types of relationships that I've had. And Joe and Zach have been a directing duo for how many years? Seven. Seven years. years. At this point. And so three years ago, Joe and I talked about starting to write something and we wrote out an, an outline beginning with this idea of abusive relationships of manipulative men specifically. And often in those stories and in culture on the whole, women are not believed, especially if it's not like a true punch in the face that you have to witness yourself. And so we knew we wanted to create a heightened atmosphere. So we added a heightened element. The outline started to grow when Zach added great ideas. Then we all fleshed it out together, both before filming, during filming, even when we thought we were done filming some things, we created more scenes and then did more filming. And then they edited it and we got our friend Roberto Garzo to write the music. And now it's a movie. That's so cool. Uh, so Terry, I've talked to them a little bit. So I'm letting you ask questions first, just because like <laughs> I've already picked their brains a little bit about the movie. And I don't want to like gush again. Because yes. 
You can gush again. We'll we'll hear Turkey. it. We'll listen to it. Yeah, yeah. gush away, Mary Beth. <laughs> we'll just like because when we and I I spoke to the three of you was that last week, the week before. I don't know. Time is all fake, what but whatever. Time? Uh, regardless, it's so interesting to see just like these different interpretations now of like I wouldn't say this is that this isn't a rape revenge story, but like I, I in my own academic brain, it is like tangentially related because it's about like abuse and women going through abuse and like processing what that is and so it's so cool to see how y'all kind of took that and filtered it through such a like liminal spacey weird dream logic lens like it's like in a year where skinamarink is very big it's very cool to see you guys have a very like i would see like a similar kind of lo-fi liminal space aesthetic but with obviously way more narrative clarity if you guys haven't seen skinamarink um but i was curious about hitting that like lo-fi aesthetic and kind of why that particular tone with this and if that is like if that was a big part of what you wanted to achieve in terms of the style of the film you're gonna go joe <laughs> I, I mean you this can, is the, you can start this is a problem we have as a directing duo or like uh you you, you I understand. who says uh, what yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of uh the look of the movie uh joe and i uh are really just kind of obsessed with analog in the mm. the true sense of the word not not the new like analog horror version but um yeah we, we love we, we love shooting uh actual like photochemical film and um so the idea of this movie um we would have loved to have shot the whole thing on film but uh our budget was about six thousand dollars uh so we were not able to do that shit that was how low your budget was ish yeah i mean we it's not we don't have like a budget sheet but like it was you know three years most of it was crafty you know for all the crew like if you're into the auteur theory, here's here's the auteurs right here. Truly, uh, everything in the film was authored by the three of us and our friend uh, Roberto Garza, who did the music. So the aesthetic of the film comes a lot from that like idea of we love um, the look of celluloid film, and we we actually did shoot I would say five to ten percent of the film on different types of. Uh, actual film and then the rest we tried to replicate that look is that a big pain in the ass in editing doing that going Uh, from like different kinds of film to digital yeah there's several different aspects of the film that we did it a certain way that ended up being a pain in the ass in editing yeah this This is what maybe one of them mary beth i don't know how close your film is to being finished but if you want to mimic a more cinematic filmic look i would recommend seeing if you can uh get some money to pay a good colorist because they will know how to we do have yeah. that actually okay, that is something i was told and have known about yeah. I, yes i know i was like i hear that the color is a good is important they're like yes you need a good colorist i'm <laughs> yes. like cool i've heard this because I, I've done I've tried color correction in the past just like for fun to see if I could do it and I wanted to die trying to learn how to color correct like it is it is a crazy skill like color correction maybe yeah, I'm just bad at it, it but yeah it's totally. very complicated it feels like or very yeah. tedious too <laughs> so Zach and I do both do photos so the translation from photo to like from still to motion for this is true boring nerd talk but that helps somewhat 
but it's okay. there's there's a reason why um there are people who are full-time colorists with, with all their um software and the know-how of that it, it can get complex i mean it's just automatically complex but if you want the the closer you want it to look like something else so like we were trying to match our digital footage to our film footage and i think that's where it gets particularly dicey um, okay that makes sense so like if you if you went to your colorist and said like i want it to look like movie x then i don't i don't know how hard that would be but that might be easier than if you had shot a whole bunch of footage with one camera that has a totally different uh, color science, or like if you shot on film and then you're like, I want the stuff we shot with this other, with this digital camera to look just like the film, then it's a little more complicated. But I don't know, for a colorist, that might might just be like a day's work, you know, just like this is a Tuesday for me. But for people that aren't colorists, I just think it's harder. You're like learning as you go. And, yeah, you know, admittedly, like, Zach did the lion's share of the work with that. Like, I'm trying to think, I think for the most part, I would just comment on it. Like, I I know less about color than Zach. Okay. I like, we'll have an eye. So it's not, and yeah, I, know I mean, <laughs> so we were just you trying could, to I get it tell to look watching okay. the movie, so it looked <laughs> well, great. So thank you. That's the fun part well, about indie you. movie making. Yeah. Now you can say you were a colorist. Like I can say I did hair and makeup because I helped put blood on people on my movie. I'm like, I did hair and makeup and I'm also a production designer. There you go. <laughs> I've done every role yeah, now. Production right, designer, right. Uh, <laughs> production manager. We were the grips. Well, the I, gaffers, I was just going to uh... say about the, lo- the lo-fi aesthetic. Um like Steph was a little bit um outside of that so that wasn't like part of her role as producer she just kind of entrusted Zach and I with that and we ran with it mm-hmm. but we tried to set up the look of the film based on the resources that we have so with very mm-hmm. limited resources you know the reason part of the reason the movie costs so little is we just used equipment we already had access to which is predominantly yeah. Zach's and then everybody worked for free so you know it would have been way more if everybody if we had to pay everybody and if we shot it in like a month or two weeks instead of th- over the course of three years here and there you know but we we're trying to rather than like your reach exceeding your grasp, which I, I like when people are ambitious, but we really wanted to work within our means. And so a lot of our setups are humble because we don't have um, all the doohickeys we'd need to make it look uh, like yeah. fancier, you know, like the production value. We're, we're like trying to make it look as good as we can, given the actual production yeah. gear we have. So our our point of I'm I'm like trying to think of how to say this better but I am fumbling with it. I guess the way that we've tended to work is if we don't actually have the means to really show off the production value, it's going to look worse if we try to do that. So we'll do little DIY things like build our own dolly or things like that if we believe that it can look as good as if we rented a dolly but for the most part we don't do things like that because we know it's gonna it's gonna look worse and then at least for viewers like zach and i take us out of the story so Mm. that's part part of the lo-fi aesthetic is not because we're like big admirers necessarily of that aesthetic it's just like we're trying to work within 
our means responsibly or like what we feel yeah. is responsible. There hmm. were several things in the creation. I mean, from like very onset all the way through the festival circuit that we tried to take obstacles and make them parameters that would help us get more creative. <laughs> and I think that something like what Joe is saying, that is one of those things. And there were several other things during the film where all of us had full-time jobs at the time. All of us weren't getting paid. All of it, like we tried to take those obstacles and say, okay, if we have the time, like, can we write more scenes as we're filming? If we have the time, can we do this scene again? If we have the time, can we go to a new location? If we have the time, and time was only a resource because we allowed it to be and also is another huge obstacle. So I think that was definitely a theme while making the film. Oh, we yeah. also had rules that we established. We didn't 100% stick to them, but we wanted to have clear rules for the image and sound. So when we started, the rule was the camera only moves when there's something supernatural happening. And okay. also in terms of the audio, you only hear the cicadas when there's not something supernatural happening, which is oh, wow. most of the time. That did help us. And I and I do. I'm curious how you all feel, Terry. I don't know if you are also a filmmaker. I don't know much about you. I, I had like two seconds to look at one of the one of your links. I think it's called Gaily Dreadful, which I yeah. thought is such a nice title. <laughs> it's fun. But I tend to think that like, I, I want to believe that if I just like it, like, you know, if we make a movie, I, we're trying to figure out how to make another movie together. Um, Zach, Steph and I, and it would be great to have more than $6,000, like more than our own money. Like it'd be nice to have financing. But I think yeah. there is a point where, it's too much like you have too much stuff or too much money like oh, yeah. you just have too many options so I, I do think limitations can be really helpful um creatively and can free up the imagination I think w w once you're able to push past that frustration zone six thousand dollars is not the right amount for making a feature film <laughs> I want to I want to no, say that it's but, not but, you it's, know maybe wow. maybe you have Depending on what you're trying to do, you have twenty five or fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, and and that's the right amount, and it provides the right amount of limitation, or maybe it's a million, what, whatever it is, it could be whatever amount, as long as you don't have too much. Think like once you get into too much, it's similar to like other aspects of life when yeah. people just have too many too many resources. You know, that's like you don't need four houses or whatever. You know, you don't need ten cars. It's easy to overcomplicate things. So it's like you know, you always want more money. My movie was fifty thousand, so like more than six. And how and like I would have loved more, but I do think there is something really rewarding about the creativity that comes out of it, and also how much you bond with your. Obviously, the three of you bonded, but like with my crew, it was like. 12 actors and like 12 crew members if that and like we all were bought like bonded very quickly because we all had to just like figure it all out to get it done as quickly and again like we only had we had a very short amount of time too so it's like it is 
really hard, but it is, it is helpful at least to see it as a positive, like, all right, let's really push our creativity to the limits here. And like, when I'm watching cuts now, I'm like, we didn't, we, that, I know how we did that. And that looks way better than it should. And it's like kind of cool to be like, hell yeah, we made that arc with like $2 and some duct tape. (laughs) Like, hell yeah, cool. Movie making magic. (laughs) And I will Um, say, you know, our budget of 6,000 would have been a lot more if we were able to pay people so that was another limitation you know like we probably would have needed fifty thousand um to pay everybody and and be able to do this in a way that we would have wanted to do it so we just decided to make it really small so the only people we weren't paying were ourselves and then a couple of friends every once in a while if we needed you know another crew member or another couple of actors for whatever scenes well okay we're talking about like how low the budget is and everything but then there's a really cool scene with the watermelon in this movie and i don't know if we don't want to go to but there's a really good watermelon scene and it is shot so well and it is so creepy and i wanted to hear more about how y'all did that because it really just hearing you didn't have that many resources but seeing how that scene comes out it's so impressive so i just wanted to hear more about that scene well we only had one watermelon we didn't even have a second so we talked about what would happen. And then I was like, okay, well, once we cut it open, we can't That's it. close it. That's it. <laughs> so like we, they told me like, go, go until we say cut, do this scene until we say cut. There were some things, some like bits of audio that they cut out that they gave me direction behind the camera during. But once I'm on the floor with the watermelon that it was just like, you have to you have to do something until we yell cut, and that's what you see. Search for what's in the watermelon. That was our direction, and then I said, "Be angrier yeah. about it." Yeah, you told <laughs> At her. At one point, you did say, "Smash it." Yeah, we wanted her to smash it. I said, "Slam it." So yeah, we had yeah. to do a little bit of audio work, but yeah, part of part of that scene was we didn't we really didn't want to do it twice. And Zach and I like longer shots. So like it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. We like longer shots, but also it would have been a lot harder to shoot that scene if we were like, we want like five different angles of this thing. <laughs> coverage. We, we probably, yeah, if so we wanted sticky. to do it. Yeah, if we wanted to shoot for coverage with Zach and I don't really like doing, we would have needed potentially five watermelons, you know, so that it was sort of pragmatic, but also it fit the style we wanted to work in. In terms of the effects, just very simple, practical work. Um, Zach, Zach's more the like fishing. practical, Matt, he's the practical master of the bunch. He's the engineer. We have just fishing line, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the effects in this movie are fishing line, which... Um... Fishing line is a very versatile thing. If Fishing Line wants to sponsor Soft Liquid Center, we'll allow it. They can sponsor us. Yeah, Fishing Line is the duct tape of string. (laughs) I feel like we're making our our movie uh, sound like so uh, rinky-dink. It's so funny because you're talking about it. And I'm like, it doesn't look or feel that way at all watching it. So it's just funny to be like, oh, yeah, it was some... Just watermelon and some fishing string. Well, there's also like uh, the oh sorry. Oh, go ahead, Terry. I was just gonna say there's also a lot of physicality to this. I was thinking in, in fact about the climbing of the the waterfall a bit. Like <laughs> that seemed a little dangerous. It was. Um, there is one <laughs> moment, the one that is the scariest 
looking, we had a crew, we had a crew member slash friend who is like hidden behind a tree in the case that I would be like, I need a hand. Sorry. And then anything I was asked to do either Joe and Zach had done. So it wasn't like they were like, good luck, figure it out. <laughs> right. It's like they had been in the areas of water. They had climbed some of the rocks that we, uh, I do think some of it looks a little uh, more treacherous than it is. And there were moments where it was like, I feel capable. And in a different scenario, I would probably want more safety measures and similar to all things like we're going to, we're going to try to do it in one, maybe two or three takes, and then we're going to be done. So, but the water was very cold. The rocks are very real. The moment when I'm like, in the middle of the water fountain on yeah. a rock was such a gorgeous scene. shot. Thank you. And we just hope for the best in anything I would have felt really dangerous in. I would have been like, I'm not doing this, but we walked through everything before we shot it. And again, it wasn't like, Hey, we're going to do this for four hours and you're going to be rock climbing. So good luck in a dress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say anything that you had to do that we did, we were wearing boots and pants. You were barefoot. Barefoot and in a nightgown. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we didn't test it out to the extent, uh, to that extent. We didn't go out in a gown and barefoot. So it sorry. is so hard sorry, to be a movie star. I can't. It's just <laughs> so glamorous. So Nothing glamorous. like clambering uh, up a rock face with your bare feet. I think the hardest <laughs> thing for you is going into the cold water because you really don't like cold water. You're not well, a you're not a Wim like, Hof person. I'm no, and I do have like a pretty. My lungs have a pretty severe reaction if it's over my head. I can handle. I can handle and complain. But there is a shot where I'm like fully submerged, like coming out of the water. And I am actually gagging because I don't feel like I'll ever breathe again, which does sound dramatic. And is that, I was like, <laughs> Will. And it, I mean, it's fucking cold. The water is yeah. really cold. So again, we only did scenes a couple times. And the good news about uh, having such a low budget is if I needed to go from like, dry hair to wet hair i was like similar to the watermelon you got one take because my hair's not going to dry for another like 17 hours so if we got to do that then we had to do it in one but yeah it was cold and in also in those cold water scenes though they were standing there usually with a camera near me so i never felt like wow i have to do all this bullshit and nobody else oh, does yeah. yeah i know zach just <laughs> no. said like boots and pants but i do feel like every piece of bullshit that was like really hard or really frustrating or really annoying every single one of the three of us got to experience it that's that's camaraderie Aww. right there it that's, really that's is trauma bonding right there too <laughs> that's trauma bonding <laughs> <laughs> well, it turned out looking great. Like I was really impressed with particularly that one shot uh, of you on top laying there with the water. Just gorgeous. What a gorgeous place, too. That is just such a picturesque waterfall. I loved Definitely it. I got engaged there, too, actually. Honestly, oh, the movie is a story about Joe and I. So take that. Wait, with, did you get engaged while you were you... filming this? No, no, no. Oh, we've okay. been, we've been but married I knew about for... the waterfall because Joe was like, Remember the place I proposed? I think that's where we're going to do the waterfall shots. And I was like, Aww. great. So sweet that my nightmares lead me to the waterfall in which my husband and I got engaged. Yeah. And then you get to deal with trauma in your own kitchen that you get to yeah, eat at every morning. In your own living room. Yeah. So beautiful. <laughs> oh, 
That's um, amazing. Well, let's let's talk about your relationships to horror because I know that all three of you have a little bit different relationships to horror. Uh, but Steph, we'll start with you because you are the newest to the genre, correct? How old were you when you first saw your first horror movie? Uh, eight, I think. Okay. I mean, I, I have I saw some things as a kid. Usually, it was accidentally or mm-hmm. because I wanted to be like my sister. Or that my parents were watching something and I refused to go to bed. And so I would Mm -hmm. walk in and then be like, I can't believe I will never sleep again. I used, I have a very vivid imagination. I had night terrors as a kid. Scary stories really affected me. So by the time I was an adult, I was like, I, the world is scary and I am scared. So I don't need to watch these movies. I also lived alone for a solid period of my life. And I'm definitely not going to be a young woman living alone, watching anything where something is outside my house or following me home. So by the time I met Joe, he was like, I think you'll like this movie or do you want to come see this movie with me? And it is helpful when there is another body sleeping closer to the door, which is the setup in our house. Let me be clear. (laughs) Um, And I, from an artistic lens, I probably in the last six years have really found an appreciation for the genre and understood more about the genre, which actually makes it both like scarier in a macro sense, but less scary that I'm going to have nightmares about it or like hear a creak in the night and think it's, you know, I, I live in the house from Poltergeist. So Joe has really helped. Both Joe and Zach are horror aficionados and I also like don't want to be left out so when all my friends are watching a movie I'm like well I want to watch it I want to see it so I am a baby both with my amount of time that I've spent in this genre and with my fear level factor so I have had Joe completely explain a plot to me and then we will watch it and I have watched some of it like this and I don't feel ashamed about that at all you shouldn't I actually wish that I did still have that reaction to watching horror movies because I feel like I'm always trying to chase that that high of like being a kid and seeing something and it just like totally rocking your world. So I think that's great. Hold on to that as much as you can. Yeah, it's fun to be the only one scared. <laughs> it's Parish fun to stuff. watch a movie with someone who gets scared, I think. I don't know if you'll I feel love the same, it. but it is nice to see like what affects people because I'm like I don't have a good gauge on it I'm not a good person when my friends are like oh is this scary I'm like I don't I don't know I don't know I don't want to ruin your life because I will pick a movie that will actually ruin your life and I don't want to be on Halloween this year I was like oh I really want like a fun movie to show people who don't watch a lot of horror fun and I picked I picked uh, Evil Dead 2013 to show a really good friend (laughs) (laughs) And they were screaming yeah. and like laughing and you know the whole time. And it's like at the end they apologized. And I was like, no, that's why I picked that movie. That's why we like, I want I us to watch this together yeah. because you have have yeah. reactions and it'll be really fun exactly. to watch together. Yeah. Well, that's a good one to watch with a group mm, of people too, because it is gross. It's a really gross movie. But what's the first movie, horror movie you ever saw, Zach? I told you when we were talking for Dread Central recently that um in when i was like 12 i saw the thing and nightmare on elm street back to back for a friend's like birthday party he had a birthday near halloween and that was like that's like the moment i was like okay horror movies they're scary i i like them 
But I had like a weird childhood where I got thinking about it because we're talking about Anaconda today. And I had seen Anaconda before that. And I just never had thought of it as a horror film because when I was a kid, I watched a lot of movies and not a lot of them scared me. Like, I, like Terminator 1 was like my favorite movie when I was six years old. And... <laughs> you know it was that's like that's insane like let watching... me just that's insane i'm fairly well adjusted at this point so i think it's fine uh <laughs> that's Excellent. amazing like i'm watching toy story when i'm six and you're watching terminator I'm and watching are we toy both story okay i don't know at the theater and then i'm going home and putting on terminator one um, but terminator terminator 2 that was four and then my mom was like you're a little older now you can watch terminator one it's a little darker when it's oh, yes. so yes. wait do you watch you, you watched terminator 2 when you were four yeah that was Hell like yeah. my favorite movie when i was four oh, fuck so. yeah all right <laughs> just learning language and also robots yeah so i remember seeing anaconda when i was like seven and i didn't think of it as a horror movie i was like oh this is like indiana jones like mm. There's like big snakes in this one. That's cool. But yeah. So when very I was very different 12, perspectives, it sounds like from this. Very, very different. <laughs> okay, then Joe, going to you, where on the spectrum do you fall here? More like Zach or more like stuff? Probably more like Zach in that I wasn't necessarily super scared, but okay. Maybe yeah, I don't know. It sounds like Steph, you actually weren't as sheltered as I was. My parents uh, wanted us to play outside, We, Ew, which now sad. I appreciate. But <laughs> like, as a kid, you're like, why can't we play video games and watch TV? We didn't even have a Nintendo or anything until I was a teenager. Like wow. we could we could play with our friends or watch movies with our friends. But um, like we our, my parents really limited the amount of time we were allowed to watch stuff. And, and they were pretty strict about what we could watch. They didn't want us watching like super violent stuff so horror you know the horror that was around when i was a kid i was born in the 80s it's like a lot of sl- you know like lots of slasher stuff. lots of slashers mm-hmm. yeah stuff that like parents conservative parents like mine were afraid of you know oh, this is gonna like garbage in garbage out or our yep. kid's gonna be uh in the penal system if he watches this sort of thing he's gonna be a lifelong yep. criminal is i think the thought <laughs> so I actually, my introduction to horror kind of came through strangely hanging out with my grandparents. We would spend the night, every, my, I, had, oh. I have three younger brothers, and we would sometimes go spend the night at my grandparents' house, my mom's parents who lived across town, and we would watch old movies. And sometimes it'd just be me. And so if it was just me, we wouldn't watch like a cartoon. We'd, we'd watch like an old Hitchcock movie. So I, I was introduced to horror sort of by way of, uh, I don't know what the right word would be, like a progenitor of horror, like a precursor to horror. That's kind of how I feel about Hitchcock. And so we were watching those old Hitchcock films on a, on a little, you know, the grandparent weekend. And I at my other grandparents' house who lived on the other side of town, uh, my dad's parents, we would watch TV or movies with them on Sunday night. We'd go over to their house and hang out on Sunday nights every, every week. And I I just remembered this recently. I think the first horror, like real horror movie I saw, which isn't scary, but as a kid, it was a little bit scary. And I have no idea how old I was. I was, I don't know, seven or eight, probably. 
but I don't know if you remember this 80s trauma movie that was like a their only family movie, uh, Monster in the Closet. You can look it up. That, I think oh. it's on I think it's on Tubi. That name oh. is very familiar to me. It's like a it's it's intentionally, you know, like the trauma brand, like intentionally campy. And it's supposed to be, you know, like an early horror movie. It's mimicking that aesthetic, but it was made in the mid 80s. Um, this monster that travels closet to closet. Anyway, that kind of flipped my wig a little bit when I was really little. But I think the first horror movie that I was deeply affected by was when I was a teenager when I saw Psycho. And I don't know how old I was, somewhere between 13 and 15. And even though, you know, this was in the 90s, that was a pretty old movie then, made in 1960. But for some reason, it really freaked me out i remember that i maybe we talked about this on your um when, when you interviewed us uh, mary beth but in the movie there's that scene where the detective and i don't want to spoil it for steph who's never seen the scene seen the movie nor, nor that scene obviously but no um, spoilers yeah six sixty i've made it 60 years <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> There's a scene where the detective is walking up the stairs. Up the stairs. Yep. Yep. And so we uh, that, live. That's the point that made me turn off the movie when I first saw it when I as a kid. Yeah. I, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I was like, nope, I'm turning this off. So I, yeah. I know. So so that scene, for some reason, when we so watching the movie, I wasn't freaked out. But we turned off the movie and I started to think about it. And I watched it with my parents. And we lived in a one and a half story. So we had stairs up to the second level. And for some reason, the way our stairs were set up, even though they looked, it was an 80s house, it did not look anything like the house in the movie. But the way the stairs were set up made me think of that scene. There's a light at the top of the stairs. And then you have to turn left or right to go to the bedrooms. And so you can't see what's on either side. It's blocked by the walls. And I looked up at that stairs before I needed to go to bed and it completely freaked me out. It's like not not an embarrassing degree. I mean, I still went up there, but I was really overthinking it. Um, so that that Psycho was really the first movie that deeply affected me. Monster in my in I don't remember if it's Monster in my closet or Monster in the Closet. I don't remember the exact title, but that movie is probably the first horror movie I saw, which freaked me out as a little kid but not not nearly as much as psycho given that i had to really think about it to remember monster in the closet but psycho's like right there i can still pinpoint how i felt looking up the stairs to go to my bedroom oh, wow. and then i've been a horror fan ever since as a little kid i just wasn't really allowed to watch much right. so i, I mean yeah. i definitely would have watched anything and i like all different types of movies but horror has a special place because I, I like the feeling of being scared, but knowing that generally you're safe, like this imaginary realm. I, I feel the same way about reading books. Um, and I think a really good movie can operate similarly imaginatively um, as a book does. Not exactly the same, but a really good movie will feel similarly to me it opens up my imagination and i still feel the safety of of uh, being at home or being in the movie theater i'm not like yeah losing my mind <laughs> yeah 
Well, okay. So we've talked about your work. We've talked about your horror histories, but Steph, we're talking yes. about your, specifically your Scarred for Life pick. And what film have you brought with you today for us to discuss? Anaconda, a Christmas okay. classic. Christmas classic Anaconda. All right. In Anaconda, a National Geographic film crew is taken hostage by an insane hunter who forces them along on his quest to capture the world's largest and deadliest snake. Oh, boy. I have a lot of thoughts about this. I know Mary Beth has a lot of thoughts about this, but let's let's take it back. How did you see this movie? How old were you? Why is this your scarred for life pick? We, I'm just, I'm dying to hear your your uh, horror story with this one. First thing I want to say, I'm so thrilled that neither of you had seen it before I have brought it to your life. Oh, I'm so um, what a what a beautiful gift I have given to you in 2020. It's true. Years. It's honestly true. <laughs> uh, so my, I grew up uh, actually in a small town in Maryland, right off the Chesapeake Wait. Bay. Wait, where? I know. We haven't talked about this yet. I grew up in um, Chesapeake Beach. Okay. I know. Wow. It's wild. Nobody's from Maryland. And then suddenly you meet a person from Maryland and you're like, what county are you from? Wait, Chesapeake Not Beach what city. water park? Where that water park yeah. is? That's yes, I used right to go there every park. summer because they had like the discounted evenings. And I used to go there every summer all the time with my family. French fries with like friggin' vinegar on top. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Everyone's from Blast Maryland. From the past. Anyway. <laughs> everybody go to maryland go to the water park you might love it <laughs> so loved water as a kid that is definitely a theme in this movie mm-hmm. uh, i have several sisters from different iterations of my family but i grew up with one biological sister in my house the entire time and even mm-hmm. when i added on siblings i've always been the youngest which means i always think my older siblings are cooler i always want to be like them i want to do what they're doing i want to hang out with their friends so it was my sister's I think it was her 13th birthday, which her birthday is a day before mine. Hers is May 24th. Mine is May 25th. We usually have combined birthday parties. May 28th. Wow. (laughs) We are. Stars are aligning. Maybe we had a birthday party at the same time at the water park. (laughs) That would have been amazing. Anyway. Sorry. Incredible. uh, I love it. End of May. Great time to have a birthday. We would often have combined birthdays, but this year, because Uh it was her foray into teen, 13, Uh, She had just her friends over, but I was allowed to hang for an hour and then watch the movie that they chose. So the first thing I know about my sister's 13th birthday is that was the day she got her first period, which she did announce to the whole birthday. So I don't feel like I'm spreading too much information about her. She was thrilled. And the second thing she announced was the movie she chose to watch with all of her friends and me, the nine-year-old, was Anaconda. And I was just wanting what to a day. What a day. What a day. And I mean, J-Lo was like huge then. Yeah. Owen Wilson was fine. Like John Voight has always been old. So congrats to him. Like, I just remember Ice Cube like hanging faces. out. <laughs> Ice Cube. What a performance. And the first moment that I remember carrying into my dreams was the tiny snake sucking on that guy's finger. And then John Voight, like, pulling it off and, like, first of all, looking at it with beauty. And second of all, just the blood running down his finger. Where's that actor? I don't know. But I had dreams. I, again, had night terrors as a kid. I had dreams about snakes or water creatures i lived in a watery place constantly after that and being like i can never watch a movie again i can never watch any movie but also any scary movie again 
because I will imagine that thing coming into my second story bedroom in the water. Anaconda. 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 <laughs> so you, you mentioned the, the, the snake biting. Was that, was that this, the scene that like really got you not the regurgitating <laughs> of the body or any of that? I stuff? Was... That's the first one. I remember thinking That's like, the first one. what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and then the CGI um, Owen Wilson in the snake shot because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> his face is like which i know this is a <laughs> podcast so people cannot see but his mouth is gaping his he looks like a like a skeleton frozen in a mid-scream and he's inside of a snake belly that i do remember in my dreams Art. and then like the idea that the snake could re jump i mean snakes don't have legs so that's probably the wrong verb but like shoot out of the water really high which is why i thought my sister and I shared a room and I slept in a trundle bed that was like her bed was against the wall. Mine was basically underneath the windows. So I figured oh no, on the land that our house was built on that the snake would shoot up to our bedroom. And then if it came in the window, it was like coming right onto my bed, onto my body. And then I would turn out to be like Owen Wilson inside of the snake belly fingers crossed then the snake doesn't puke me back up because that is also something we learn in the first 30 seconds of the movie Chekhov's vomit like in the in the very beginning of the movie I, yeah. it like sets uh -huh. it up and I'm and so I saw that and I'm like waiting I'm like okay who is getting regurgitated in this movie <laughs> and you have to wait so long but you do get that moment what that yeah just the at the beginning when the the text comes on the screen and it's all just like fake information about snakes they're just like anacondas can get up to 40 feet long they're the only snakes that regurgitate their food so they can kill, kill it, it and eat it again <laughs> okay that's just not true just, i don't think that's it's true. so not true okay look let me get on my some anaconda knowledge. <laughs> here we go okay here we go so before i worked in horror i worked at animal planet and i while that does not mean I am a qualified expert, I watched a lot of videos about anacondas and videos of anacondas always go viral because people love watching these giant fucking snakes eat things. Mm -hmm. And so like every time, and I when I worked at National Geographic, this was the same thing. Anytime there was video of a giant snake eating something, it could, it doesn't matter what it was, it would go insane because people go nuts over these snakes. But the thing is, they eat so slow. So I'm watching this movie and this anaconda is moving so fast and eating so quickly. And I'm like, it takes them days to digest. If they move that quickly after they eat, they'll die. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm no fun. Like, I am just like lame as shit. Because I'm like, they don't regurgitate them like that. They have to take for, they don't swallow them that quickly. It takes forever. And also they kill them by shattering all of their bones and they suffocate. They're not that alive when they eat things. So they like, they they kill by suffocating and crushing your bones and your body until like your body is basically just mush. Um, and they don't really attack people unless you're fucking with them. Very uh, shockingly, an, an animal attack movie. They're not. I was gonna say an animal people. attack movie that that doesn't necessarily follow the creature's habits. That never <laughs> happened. Fucking. <laughs> but that the part where like it was moving so fast after eating John Voight. I'm like that is factually inaccurate it would be asleep for days and they're very sweet Wait, and slow what is now when we talk about the john Voight wink or do we talk about that later like when do we talk about that 
the regurgitation, <laughs> the wink, the fall the over. Like, come on. That is cinema mass mastery. Like, nothing is better than being such a horn dog that even when you're half digested by a snake, <laughs> you wink at Jennifer Lopez. Like, honestly, all right. It it works for the character. It really does. The line, it's been a it's like it's been a long time since I've had a woman. Stop. That whole I, sequence. The <laughs> she puts on the lipstick, like shaking. She's like, oh. I, I was watching this with my roommate and I saw her putting lipstick on. And I was like, wait, wait, is she gonna go seduce John Boyd? Is that what we're watching now? Wow. I oh and also my favorite <laughs> I forgot uh female anacondas cannibalize male anacondas uh during breeding season <laughs> happens a lot praying in, mantis um... style I like yeah. that yeah 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 so is it a matriarchy the anaconda society I don't know if it's necessarily matriarchy but they are like females do you have to eat more and they do eat the boys. So it sounds like yes. Honestly, I I'm getting so. more and more respect for anacondas as we have this conversation, <laughs> which I think is the point of the movie. So I love that. Uh, I think they're, I mean, they're scary as shit. Like, don't get me wrong. If I saw one in real life, I would run the other direction. But I think they're cool. How so long can they actually be? Um, It's like, yeah, 30, 30 feet. 30 feet. 30 feet um, and they can weigh. They can get to 20. 30. 30 feet and they can be like a foot thick like a thick okay. boy and then uh 550 pounds is what the internet is telling me huh they're very but they see what would have been even better in this movie is if they had like attacked while it was eating because that's when they're the most vulnerable i should write an anaconda movie <laughs> <laughs> Scientific. i actually think accurate. there is anaconda too but oh. i don't think there's anaconda three there, there is. is anaconda three there is anaconda there is. three <laughs> Yes. There is oh, no. four sequels. Yes. Four, five total? Anacondas? Yes, there is Anaconda. There's Anaconda's Hunt for the Blood Orchid, which was released in theaters in 2004. Oh, that's right. And then there were three direct-to-video releases. Anaconda 3, Offspring. Anaconda's Trail of Blood. And then Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Incredible. Oh. So I guess the I alligators... That I was going to have this conversation about Anaconda and the amount of people who have told me that their first scary movie was Lake Placid is more than one, which is insane. Like, what? who watched oh. these movies and why did they scare us? Well, it's like they're made. So it's funny because like Anaconda, when I'm watching this, like it's so silly, but I see why it scares people. Because like if you're a kid and you and you're like watching the animal attacks and you don't like fully get the sense of humor, you're like fuck this and then same thing with like classic because again i feel like they both are kind of like silly creature attack movies and i feel like creature attack movies for the most part are usually like skewed a little bit silly for like on the sillier side and it, it's like oh this will be fine it's not that scary and then it's like no actually you've given me an absolute fear of x y and z i mean like i saw jaws and was terrified of sharks terry saw arachnophobia and is still terrified of spiders like i've never seen that movie that's for sure it's I really good, it. but like if you don't like spiders, <laughs> it's gonna ruin your life. So like, but um, yeah, I think people don't think animal attack movies like take them as seriously as terms of horror. But like, if you're a kid and you're like, um, that's a snake. Like that's not that's not even like a monster snake. Like that snakes get that big. Like it's not that far outside of the realm of possibility that a big ass snake could eat me. And I mean, like bad CG aside, like 
there are some horrifying like horrifying moments i would think as a kid particularly with like you said with owen wilson's face in it like i was laughing because i thought it was so funny but i was like if i saw this at like an early age that would have been traumatizing because i love snakes growing up so like that would have probably been traumatizing and then john voight getting regurgitated is um i mean you can't get any better than that so i can get being a kid yeah and there is a spooky aspect you know we uh, as homo sapiens like are technically the top of the food chain because we're the most like intellectually sound but there are aspects of animals that do things so much better than us so when they fall in the water every time you're like they're fucked they're dead snakes yeah. are better in the water than we are in the water <laughs> like they're similar to sharks or si it's just like if you have eight legs you can probably move faster on land than i can and then i i am spider food so that aspect every single time i did love the idea that every time the snake tail would like go out of control and somebody just happened to be in the way and was just yep. like pushed into the, the water. amount of people that get knocked through things or into the water in this is is pretty hilarious i will say oh man but i'm, I'm curious <laughs> joe and, and zach how when did you guys see this and did you have a similar reaction to it uh well like i said i saw it in the 90s and I don't remember seeing it in the theater or not, but I remember, yeah, just not thinking of it as a as a horror film because I loved, you know, I loved Jaws and I had seen sort of all the like creature movies as a big Godzilla kid. Mm. So, I, you know, I was just like, oh, big snake. Um, <laughs> so it was cool, but <laughs> it wasn't particularly scary and I wasn't uh, afraid of snakes, but I was afraid of John Voight's accent. Um, so you know, that's that's what I took home. John Voight is the scariest part of this movie, period. The end. He's the real villain, you know, the snake. Snake's I just mean, trying to live, man. Yeah, he's just trying to get some food and then regurgitate it he, and then he does eat, eat Danny Trejo at the beginning, everybody. Just so everyone knows Danny Trejo what is a at the beginning. Cameo. Getting like, I know. Poor Danny. Poor Danny. What I love about that cameo though is that I, I as I was watching this, and again, this is my first watch for it, but I, I was sitting there and I was and I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of the ending of Jaws, where you know he's he's on the boat, the boat is being attacked. It doesn't sink like Jaws, but he climbs up onto the, you know, as far as he can. And I'm like, well, you know, in Jaws he would have been relatively safe i mean of course the shark could tear apart the boat but the shark can't get him and so i did like this little moment where the the camera with the snake vision is moving up and you're just like oh yeah there is no place for him to go and so i i did enjoy that moment as sort of like a wink and a nudge to to jaws they the first scene is actually kind of good because they don't show the snake yeah. <laughs> so you're like Oh, it's a uh, it's like going to be kind of a Jaws type of movie. They're not showing the snake. And then the second they like take the boat into the territory, it's just like five second shot of the like fake snake in the grass. And you're like, oh, we lost all the goodwill here. Uh -huh. And then it eats it eats a, a panther. <laughs> <laughs> with so much force so that the eye is ejected out of it that was my yeah. favorite moment the fact I that there is an eyeball <laughs> so like it crushed him so much that the eyeball just went Boop. i just <laughs> so good i i actually did see this movie in the movie theater okay. oh hell yeah and i was thrilled to see it in the theater and thrilled while i was watching it in the theater I, I couldn't believe my parents were letting me go see it. 
that was the first thrill and then yeah I just loved it as a kid I'm trying to remember how old I would have been I don't uh, yeah like 13 or or something but I was pretty sheltered like like I said pretty sheltered 13 year old so I was like oh cool I get to go see a movie that my mom and dad don't really want to see I get to go see it with my friends and I hadn't seen enough movies at that point to realize that this was a really silly B movie. And I think I had, I'm trying to think if I had seen Jaws yet. I think I had. And so I think I understood at least that it's sort of in the vein of, you know, it's in the lineage of, um, you know, Jaws and the animal attack sort of thing. I had definitely mm-hmm. seen birds, you know, so I'd seen the birds and I, I, I like understood that, but I didn't really understand that this was not a particularly good movie. I I just thought it was great. Um, now yeah. I think it's great in a different way. It's I, I think what I took away. So Steph and I rewatched it the other night, and my main takeaway was wow, they like don't make any mid budget movies like this anymore. That yeah. that go to the theater like any movie like this is straight to VOD, um, which I think is a real shame. I'm pretty sure that the cinematographer of the movie, Bill Butler, is the same guy who shot Jaws. So I I really think they were trying to go for like their version of Jaws and just missed the mark. (laughs) I think partially because of what Zach's talking about. They they continue they they really want to show off the 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 animatronic and CGI mix Mm -hmm. in spite of like how bad the CGI is. I still wish there was uh, there were producers and studios that were willing that like that would make this type of movie now that we could go see in the theater with with like legit actors. Yeah. Uh, John Voight was once a great actor. And I I was like trying to think when his downfall began. And I wonder if this is part of that (laughs) because he's. He's so it's such a bizarre thing. Zach and I were talking earlier and like, why did they make him a guy from Paraguay? Like he could just be an American poacher. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. His accent is incredible. It's it's hilarious. It's just like the accent is is unplaceable. The accent is completely insane because I, I, I don't know a lot of Paraguayan people, but I don't think that that's. I think that's all John Boyd. I think he was like, I've got an idea. I roll with this. I I had known that John Boyd's accent was um, something to behold in this movie beforehand, because it's so funny, because if you type in Anaconda and John Boyd, one of the one of the things that's going to pop up in Google search is accent, because everyone talks about it to the point that he was like nominated back in. I mean, I, I don't like like the raspberries and that kind of stuff, but like. He was nominated for Stinker's Bad Movie Award for Best Supporting Actor and Worst Fake Accent, and he won both um, at that time. And <laughs> this movie was, was nominated for a lot of raspberries, which I, I don't I'm not a fan of those. Ra- However, raspberries I, or the Razzies? Is it the Razzies? It's the raspberries, but it is it's the Golden Raspberry oh, the Award. They call it the Razzies. Oh, I don't know the raspberries. I was like, what are the yeah. raspberries? <laughs> yeah, they call them Razzies. And. So like that is all I knew. And when I sat down and I was watching this and I was like, wait, 
what accent is he trying to do? And then you find out late, a little bit later, that it's that he's from Paraguay. I was like, oh, mm, this is not good. In a movie that has some, actually some good representation, this is your decision. I was like, I don't, I don't know about that choice. Once again, I think it was just him being like, I'm a, I'm a big actor. I know what I'm doing, and everyone's like, okay, like I, we're all kind of new-ish, so I guess that's fine. And then you're like. I wonder what everyone was thinking on sets. I, I so badly want to know if everyone was just like kind of scratching their heads. Like, do we tell them or do we like just, just every time the camera's not on them, they're just like looking at each other being like, don't laugh. yeah, who don't says laugh. anything? Don't laugh. Don't like, laugh. Ask yeah. Voight. Ask Voight. He'll know what to do. I, I like the idea that John Voight's character in the movie and real John Voight aren't that different. Like John Voight on set was also like kind of leading them uh, on this mad quest. And just in charge of everybody. I feel like he's like kind of weird anyway. So I feel like it probably wasn't that far out of the realm of possibility. I guarantee you he probably hit on J-Lo when they weren't <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> There's yeah, no definitely. way he wasn't no question. I wonder what it felt like for him, though, to go from heat to <laughs> Anaconda. He like kind of had a legit role in, in heat. Um, so did... Uh... Danny Trejo. Oh, right. Was also in oh, that's heat. right. Oh, shit. Oh, that's he right. Was. The so heat to Anaconda career line. Pipeline. Okay, <laughs> real quick. I want to mention that Danny Trejo. So, so first of all, you find out immediately that there's something bursting through the bottom of his boathouse. And to find out that it's a snake, like in the logic of the movie, snakes, these anacondas can bust through walls. That's kind of amazing. But I love secondly, that the nails flew up. Like yes, the yes, nails are so ejecting good. out of the. I was like, ah, oh, wow, the most powerful being on the planet. But <laughs> I, I'm trying to like the scene. I I like the scene, but upon reflection, it makes zero sense. So he can't. So once he knows the snake is in there, why doesn't he just shoot himself? It's purely movie logic or movie maker <laughs> logic, where it's like, well, we have to get this like kind of jaws tribute in where he's uh-huh. up at the mast at the top but if he knows he can't escape the snake why does he climb all the way up there just to shoot himself it makes no sense because he loves the drama come on leave him alone he wanted a dramatic <laughs> <Yeah>. end <laughs> he's a dramatic guy he just he's like if i have to die blood. it's gonna be iconic exactly, exactly. that's what we always that's say right. about danny trejo flair for the dramatic <laughs> I will say for every delightful thing about this movie, the final two lines make me want to punch someone in the face. They finally stumble across this group of people who does not want to be found, does not want to be seen. They've had all of these lessons that the Anaconda, Anacondas have taught them. And then Ice Cube says, should I go get the camera? And J-Lo's like, I think that's a good idea. It's I like, know. I can was you like, get out of the fucking jungle, you dummies? They don't want you here, any of them. I, I when I when they got to that point, I was just like, America. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course, that is like the first thought is I'm gonna go get this camera and film these people who have no desire to be found and broadcast it to the world, America. America. It is a very USA film, and I like that, Terry. Because uh, I mean, I don't like that it's a very USA film. I like what you said. Because they go, they go down, they kill this beautiful species down there. And then they go, they finally get to the real reason why they're there, 
which is to film these people that don't want to be filmed. <laughs> it's, and it's rather a than beautiful saying something like the USA. we've learned some things about our journey, about our precious lives, they're like finally she when she has that she like says that thing to john boyant where she's like this documentary is supposed to be my big break i'm like this <laughs> also ice cubes Leave eric stoltz. Alone. well the, i mean like eric stoltz is still downstairs with the hole <laughs> i know no, but like... he comes up in that one moment and instantly starts bleeding <laughs> okay but this is the thing okay national the national geographic shit though is so real in terms like i thought they were gonna do something cool with talking about like going into these areas and trying to film people and exploit them but they didn't because like when i worked at Na- wow all of my past is like really helpful for this this movie when i worked at national geographic like that was the heart like those were conversations those are still conversations they have and they have not learned like maybe don't send like the white guy to take photos of the indigenous tribe like maybe we should look for people that live in the area and they're like why and I was, we were like okay cool so it's just it is fascinating that they're just like after all of that let's get our cameras and like film it's oh it almost feels like it would be in a shitty like screen life or found footage movie of like get mm. the camera and keep filming of like the tribe in as they emerge from the mist it's just like also, how does your camera equipment still work? How does everything like? How is it not fucked up? How is it still filming? How is your sound equipment still working? Like that's what I want. There's no sound equipment. Yeah, yeah like you, you know, Owen Wilson, who was the sound guy, he's gone. It's just Ice Cube with his his Aton XTR on his shoulder. Uh, Beautiful you know, camera, by the way. Yeah, we love the XTR. We uh, very much are uh, jealous of. Ice, Ice Cube's Cube. camera equipment. He's Ice never camera. he's never shooting during interesting moments. Even that one <laughs> no. part of the movie where he no. says, "Oh, well, I'm going to follow them uh you know to see what they see what they find." It it doesn't appear that he's actually filming anything. He's like never actually filming the snake. Like, yeah, and she's like next time we should get that on camera. It's like, <laughs> and yeah, maybe you should, John brother. Bright, like catches a fish. Yeah. Also, like, listen, you are being hunted by a snake, which I'm sure puts you a little bit into a survival brain space. But if you're there, maybe rather than being like, I wish we could find this tribe, it's like, pivot? Uh, Not the documentary about John Voight, but like, film that fucking snake. That Uh somebody, clearly, Mary Beth says everybody wants to see snakes. Everyone wants it. They Like, that would have been her big break. She wouldn't have had to work. None of them would have had to work ever again if they had filmed like an anaconda human snake <laughs> attack you know the the scientific breakthroughs that would have come through with that study of behavior of snake behavior they would have had a national geographic article all about them <laughs> ah, missed opportunity i just wanted to very quickly say the first thing that ice cube says uh when he comes on screen is today is a good day <laughs> poetic beautiful so poetic <laughs> I, it's it's interesting though because Mary Beth, you're saying that you know every, that like anaconda videos and snake videos eating things is always like a big draw. So apparently, this movie gets played on the South African television station E TV and has become kind of a national running gag because they air it several times every year during the mid 2000s to the point that on Twitter people were were complaining that this movie is constantly playing and. 
I guess like this this channel like was was trolling everybody like guess what you're seeing it again on Saturday on like on like social media and the the truth is is that even though people were like ah oh, this movie again it apparently was drawing so many different eyes that it was like a a big money maker and a big talking point for this this small TV in South Africa so people love to see it whether it's real or not <laughs> I am part of those people I love to see it so I understand yeah. their perspective. Same. Well, I mean, like, it's it's like good, dumb fun. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those movies that's, like, really not that deep. And it's just, like, kind of a bunch of tropes in the, in the, in the jungle. But I also, but it's still fun because it's a giant snake attacking them. And I think the pacing is fun. And I also love, it's especially now that I've made a movie, like, the way they try to make a film crew and like talk about the film crew on the boat is just very funny. He's like, I'm the sound guy. I'm the like the line producer or like the production manager. And I was just like, wow, I love this like parrot this, this like little parody we have of like the uh the, the what what filmmaking is. And then it just goes to shit. But I just found that the producer who's constantly wearing her shirt tied right underneath her bra then when things get bad for her suddenly her shirt's not tied anymore that's how she gets disheveled it's like her oversized button down could not possibly show her midriff for one more second because she is upset <laughs> she's got to cover all of her flesh now how does especially she after, especially after her and owen wilson fuck about to fuck in the woods and get attacked by a boar by a boar <laughs> that's a nice reveal you know you think it's going to be a snake but it's not i have a real hard time with the scene where John Voigt is tied up and she goes to stab him, I guess. She's it's it's I, I just was like, how can someone who's supposedly this angry be this inept? He's tied up. He's sitting uh -huh. on the ground. Uh just stab this guy. And then she ends up getting murdered by his thighs. John Voigt. I, by his thighs because he launches himself similar to the snake launches himself just with his legs like gets them underneath him and then pushes himself up the pole the real monster is the snake inside that's right that's, <laughs> that's right the moral but they they she has to die so that you get john voight being regurgitated and winking so i i'm grateful for that i guess but i don't know that i've seen um a movie with that inept of a almost no. kill and then he becomes so spry <laughs> yeah how is he so flexible i'm like the wow. bad logic continues when because th they're stuck so ice cube is like you go that way and we <laughs> will go this way the water with the with the snake in it let's let's all just split yeah, up <laughs> and also why do you both have to go only one guy's going the other direction both of you need to tie it around this tree like yeah i'm sure yeah. j-lo can stay on the boat with with Mr. Voigt and and an the eye on him. redhead yeah. who has a frozen streak in her hair. He's kind of loosely tied to that um whatever he's tied to. So maybe I should give um him a little more credit and that poor traumatized woman. So maybe it's not as bad as I think. I think the real crime here is that they didn't just dump him off the boat like Ice Cube said they should. I, I love that part too, where where J Lo's like, I can't remember what she says, but it's like, do we really need more of that? More people getting thrown into the water? It's like this guy's trying. He doesn't really care if all of you die. He just wants to get the snake to sell it. 
I know, and no one questions the fact that a wasp is inside of his, like, the guy's breathing thing. Thank you so much, because I was like, Like, what the fuck? No one was confused about that? Like, no one was like, oh, yeah, like, how could, like... They're just like, this is what wasps do. What in the silence of the lambs, (laughs) like, pulling that out of his mouth and being like, it's a wasp, and it's strung his esophagus, and it's like... I mean, I like I, it's it's smart. It's interesting. But also, were you not like not thinking more critically about perhaps how it got there? No, the dumbest film crew imaginable <laughs> in the danger and the most dangerous place, like completely like unaware of where they're going and what they're doing, or at least they seem that way. <laughs> this is very tangential. And I'm curious what the rest of you think. But another thing that I kind of mourn along with the fact that we don't see these silly mid-budget movies in the theaters anymore, is that I wouldn't say it's like a great-looking movie, but there's some really nice little moments. And I, part of that, I think, is because it was shot on 35 millimeter film. Was it really? Yeah, this, this is like pre-digital being used yeah. in big movies. So... There's just something about that texture and the feel of that and the intentionality. I'm saying intentionality loosely, knowing that this this movie is like kind of a piece of trash. But but there's something about the look of it that you would just never see in this yeah. type of movie now. Like now this movie is just spit out for sci-fi channel or yep. yeah. straight to VOD or whatever. So so as inept as the movie is and as silly as it is there's still there's a quality to it that I admire both in terms of the look and yeah like having a, a few stars in there I guess Ice Cube was kind of on the rise cuz he's you know transitioning from rap to right being an actor which that's like a whole other side story we can talk about that's so crazy that like his whole story of being an NWA and being in movies and now he's in like kids movies at, or he has been anyway. Yep. I don't know what he does now, but um, yeah, there's just, there, there are some things to admire in spite of it being such a silly movie. I mean, or maybe because I mean, of, this, I don't know. I had, I had fun watching it. I was like, this is very silly, but like I've seen with the amount of like, terrible 90s action movies i feel like we've all seen like it's really not bad and i say that because like it's not horribly racist or sexist or misogynist like yes we have those aspects but it's it's to play up the the villain it's not they still have those moments but i find that and i know like it's i feel like the bar is so low but like it doesn't kind of like take cheap shots at people like it could in this movie because this movie has like a latina well, like a woman as the lead and then Ice Cube again as the other survivor like we have two people of color surviving and so it's like a relatively diverse cast for the 90s like for yeah. an action movie like this so it's never punching down and I feel like so many movies do that that it's refreshing like so yeah there's some like weird parts to it but it's taking it's like respecting all of its characters and actors in a way that like Movies of this level and this caliber, you don't often see, which is quite interesting. And I I made the joke about the redhead's wardrobe, but in general, like J-Lo, who is a beautiful woman, is wearing like a tank top and cargo pants, which I just feel like in now you get a movie like this with somebody as hot as her and they're like, put her in a white shirt and get her. She's going to be wet. 
as soon as possible. Yeah. Her, her nipples yeah. are going to be out the whole time. Like it's just going to yeah. be like wet t-shirt contest. Nasty. It felt like they wore the same outfits because they were in the jungle. And there was yeah. a level of like, we're not beautifying people on purpose. If people right. are beautiful, it's just because their face is lovely it's to look gorgeous. at. gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have the whole thing that you usually see in action movies where they put like a million pounds of makeup on the woman and you're like, yeah, see, like she knows what she's doing. Like she actually does look like they all look like people who would go ish mm. they don't have like crazy makeup so there's something about not to give this movie too much credit but like <laughs> for that but i still like it cares about as much as it can about the characters and not like falling into traps that these kinds of genre movies can fall into in terms of like haha we'll make fun of everyone and it's like mm. well or we'll just give a giant snake and scary john voight and that's all you really need it's <laughs> all you need but we talked a little bit about like how we miss like that sort of mid-budget movie that's going to movie theaters. But like the other thing that like my first note, literally my first, well, second, because I was making fun of this, the text crawl uh, at the very beginning. <laughs> um, my first note was that I missed the creature features of the 90s because Jurassic Park was so big in the early 90s that it like opened up the gates for everyone to be like, OK, we're going to have anacondas. We're going to have Relic, which takes place in a museum. We're going to have Deep Rising. We're going to have like all of these mid-budget horror movies that are going to play in theaters that have big studio backing that ha usually have like actors that people are familiar with or are in like this case like j-lo and and you know all that type of stuff so i do miss it made me very nostalgic for that time period because i saw i don't and i don't know how i'd miss this one because i was a huge creature feature fan in the 90s i am surprised I, that you missed this I, one because you're an aquatic horror too. creature feature guy so this is yes. like very you speaking of which i didn't realize this was aquatic horror i don't know why i didn't think about it being aquatic horror but as we're watching it's like oh, aquatic horror which is one of my favorite subgenres, and i don't know why i didn't put that together obviously it was going to be aquatic horror they're on a fucking boat in the middle of you know <laughs> but i didn't yeah. even think about that but yes it made me very nostalgic for that time period of these big action horror movies monster features that were coming out in the 90s because of the success of jurassic park and i wish we had more of those and there is something that is regardless of if it's a b movie that if a movie is of this ilk if it's a creature feature it is really fun in the movie theater mm -hmm. one you hear other people's reactions two the snake is truly big like yeah i mean i've never seen jaws on a big screen but i can only imagine what the shark feels like that big like so even if the movie is bad when the creature is big the noise is loud people around you are jump scaring like that is a really fun experience that i i think is really rare in this day and age yeah same I mean, it's like all the sequels that. that were direct to video, I believe, were produced for the sci-fi channel. So like that is that's sort of like the legacy of this film. And I do think that I mean, sci-fi does a lot of creature features and, you know, they're probably of the same quality of of like the sequels of Anaconda. But I, I do I, I miss like I was thinking I was trying to think of like the last other than Meg. Meg was a big, you know, of course, but that also was a expensive movie but then crawl mm -hmm. the movie with the alligators um like in that New was Orleans? like uh yeah i think it was yeah it was yeah where like they're stuck in the in the house and there's a hurricane that comes in like i love that and i was like i really wish we had more of those because those i don't know there's so much fun and it's it's like one of my it's my favorite type of horror me too 
Well, do we want to wrap this up? Why do we went sort of full circle with this? Right? Oh, so oh no, don't apologize. <laughs> we started hating and then got all the way through, and now we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a snake eating we its own tail. Love- <laughs> anaconda yes exactly yeah it's a fun uh, one my I, my husband walked by while i was watching it and he's like are you watching anaconda and i was like yeah he's like okay was like it's a fun time it's not amazing but i like it's entertaining it's good popcorn horror and i need that i've watched too much sad shit i need like a little bit of fun so yeah um I, I like that era of j-lo as well um yeah Enough. Like, Do you remember her movie Enough, where she beat, yes. where she learned how to beat the shit out of her abuser? I love that movie has, as a kid. Yes, I remember like, it, but I've never seen it. Why did I love it. that movie? I remember the My trailer. mom was like, "Look how badass she is." I'm like, mom, you don't want me to watch certain movies, but you show me Enough, where this woman is like beat to shit by her husband and then finds out how Ugh. to beat him. And I was like obsessed with it. I'm like, that actually is so funny and hilarious. Like trajectory of where I am at now as a filmmaker and an academic. Like, <laughs> but it's just been, like. I love that movie. <laughs> it's fucked up, but it's good. <laughs> Which reminds me, I still need to read your thesis. I'm sorry I haven't read your thesis yet. Oh, it's okay. There is no pressure to read my thesis. It's just my <laughs> master's thesis. No, no, I'm, I'm excited to read it. Uh, I was going to say, I'm trying to remember the timeline, but she was, JLo was in selena which she's great same in. year oh that's right same year okay. Okay. Same, okay. Year? same year 1997 look at her range and then oh. not maybe maybe it was like two years later she was in the uh soderbergh film uh out, out of, of sight, sight which one I, year which later I love is i think i think that's a legitimately great movie and probably my favorite soderbergh film but I kind of missed that era where she she was kind of hopping around trying different things. And then like, the I, cell I, I, a couple I, years later. The cell. That's right. That's right. She's like doing all sorts of um, different genres and like I you know the cell is also a horror movie of uh, kind of in the like Silence of the Lambs mold, I guess. But I don't know. Just like that to go from you know, like a musical biopic or biopic about a musician or whatever, you know, biographical film to like a creature feature to like a crime movie to an, a weirdo horror movie. I don't know. That's a, there's something I, I feel like this. We don't see a lot of that with big time stars <clears throat> anymore where they're, they're like and we definitely don't with J-Lo. But, yeah. And I, I wonder why that is. Anyway, maybe that's a topic for a different time. Y'all need to see her terrible erotic thriller. <laughs> Which one is that? Oh my oh, God, The Boy Next Door. The Boy Next Door. I love the idea of it being called The Boy Next Door, though. That <laughs> Boy Next Door. <laughs> it's so bad. He he says to her at one point, so give you, um, just to give you like a, a clear kind of what it is, I got you a first edition copy of The Iliad by Homer. Wow. Edition of an, the that's not a thing. It's just, uh, it's first edition. What year? I know. It's my ancient, favorite. As I, had to, I had to pause it. I was it's dying on a laughing. Scroll. I found the Dead Sea uh, Scrolls for you and I bought them just for you. I didn't give them to a researcher. I brought them here for you. They're collecting dust. I showed them in, in my Kmart. backpack, but they sh- they, they're probably fine. <laughs> It's just the fossilized skull <laughs> of like a scholar from <laughs> Greece. Amazing. Oh my god. Do we want to wrap up and give this a rating out of five? 
That sounds good. Yes. yes. All right, Terry, you're up first. How many John Voight's terrible accents out of five do you uh, give Anaconda? You know, this movie was a whole lot of fun. I do wish that the effects looked a little bit better. There's the between the anim animatronic snake that comes in. I was like, oh, it looks very plastic to the CG is a little iffy. However, it's fun. And I, I found myself laughing at just... At laughing and not at it, but with it. Like, this is just a ride of a movie. It's perfectly paced, an hour and 30 minutes. Love to see a creature feature that doesn't out overstay its welcome. Uh, two characters make some curious decisions. Yes, I thought at the very end when they pushed John Voight in the water and then they leave the, the uh, trachea guy <laughs> on the boat to go check out this mine. I'm like... Maybe you shouldn't do that because I'm thinking if I'm John Void, I'm getting on this boat and I'm just taking you off and you guys are fucked. Like that is some like I, some iffy things to set up action points. But you know what? I had a blast. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half John Void's bad accents. I, I had a good time with it. What about you, Mary Beth? I also am going to give it three and a half John Void's accents. I I think it's definitely silly. It's definitely of that era. But I love movies like that from that era that are like just genuinely like fun, like popcorn movies that are just mm -hmm. here to like make you kind of jump and make you laugh. Maybe not always on purpose, but it's like relatively well made ish. And you can kind of look past the um, technical issues and kind of just have a good time with it. It's like I feel like I really want to watch this with friends and just giggle yeah. and have a good time with it. But I'm very glad that I was finally able to watch it for this podcast. And you me finally too. got me to watch it because, boy, oh, boy, um, more J-Lo and horror films. Like, let's have her make her resurgence. I love it. Um, but yeah. So, Steph, I'm going to start with you um, with your final words since this was your pick. Uh, how many uh, bad John Boyd accents out of five do you give Anaconda? I'm giving it 3.8 bad John Boyd yeah. accents. I felt similarly, both of you, that both of you, really fun, so silly, uh, but not too long. I was never wondering when a scene was going to end. When it did end, I thought the ending was stupid, but right on time. Uh, <laughs> and it allowed me to feel nostalgic about a time in my life and really see my um full like horror journey up until this point and really feel like oh I'm not afraid of this and this really did scare me at one time and now like I'm a I'm a big girl when I watch some horror movies and I'm not having nightmares about snakes coming up to my second floor bedroom window so 3.8 hell yeah I mean, that would be right. that would be horror horrible thinking about that just like I, 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 when you were telling me the story telling us the story I was like I can be in your mind and just imagine that because like I mean, with, with Jaws, I always like was afraid that there was going to be water coming up to my bed. And so I'd always like jump because I was afraid shark was going to be in the bed. Like just weird shit like that. So I I can immediately understand why this movie terrified you. Um. Okay, Joe, how many how many bad John Voight accents do you give Anaconda? I'm going to give the movie on a whole three. Okay. But I'm going to give John Voight. I'm going to give John Voight's accent five <laughs> out of five John Voight's <laughs> bad accents. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Okay. I respect that. I respect that. Cool. 
All right, Zach, and you have you are now the final final word. What about you? What is your rating for this? The final word. Beautiful film. Um, well, so I will just say tight 90. There's some real stars in this movie. It's fun. And so I'm gonna give it uh I, I gotta go with everybody else. I'm gonna go with the the 3.5 out of five. Uh, salad would be perfect, little baby birds. <laughs> yes. We Tom got Blades? it. We got it. Are you it. here? He's here. We summoned him. <laughs> I want that audio. I'm going to save that audio clip and set that as like an alarm sound or something just for the rest of my life. Incredible. Beautiful. Thank uh, you. That, that's the real gift here. That, that is, is the real, the real gift. gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us to talk about this movie. Um, so the, the floor is yours. Are you guys online? Um, social media? Um, what do you guys have to talk about? Plug away. Anything you guys want to want to say? We are online. We're on Instagram at Soft Liquid Center. That's our movie. We're on Instagram. All of our names. My name's Steph Pombo. Joe as Joseph Colleen. Zach as Zachary Gutierrez. And you can also find things at PerryHomeVideo.com or StephHombo.com. And our movie uh, is online on VOD. Uh starting tomorrow december 12th so that will be after this comes out so people can check it out yeah on apple tv or on amazon prime and then some other those are the easiest ways to find it though listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what was your experience the anaconda you can send us an email at scarfrelaypodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on social media i am at mb mcgandrews on twitter and at mb.mcgandrews on instagram and blue sky and i am at gaily dreadful everywhere and don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter and blue sky at scarred podcast and on instagram at scarred for life podcast and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe and if you want to help support us we do have a patreon uh thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time